Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify black letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. Hi, welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. This week, I've got Kevin Goldberg from Greenleaf Medical and Barney Goodman, his attorney from Dunlap Bennett Ludwig. Kevin is the founder and chief legal officer of Greenleaf Medical of Virginia and its related entities. And Kevin will tell us a little bit more about that. Kevin, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Appreciate you stepping in. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Good to see you, Barney. And hi, everybody. So Greenleaf Medical is a medical cannabis company. We cultivate, process, and dispense medical cannabis. Greenleaf does it specifically in Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. Greenleaf Medical was acquired by Columbia Care, a publicly traded company, and Columbia Care has um, licenses in about 30 states. Are you part of are you running independently of Columbia Care now? Or are you still running your company as, uh, as your own thing, or is it kind of subsumed under this, this bigger public company? So that's a great question. It's a little bit complicated. We have been acquired by Columbia Care, but we have a two-year earnout in the transaction where in order for us to get the full amount of um, compensation for the transaction, we have to hit certain EBITDA targets. Gotcha. And for the two-year earnout period, we operate independently of Columbia Care. So we have to report to them for certain big things. But my brother and I still run the day-to-day operations of the Greenleaf entities pretty much without interference from Columbia Care. I'll tell you that I have a lot of clients, restaurant owners, and another client who owns a, a company that came to me and have come to me in the last year saying, I really want to open a cannabis company or I really want to get into cannabis. Um, how did you do this? And and, you know, from what I've heard, and I'll just ask this preemptive question as well, everything I've read, it's at least in Virginia, from a regulatory standpoint, it's almost impossible to get into it. There just aren't any licenses or there, it's, it's just a very challenging thing to do. So tell us a little bit about that. So by way of background, I'm a personal injury lawyer. I was president of the Maryland Association for Justice, Maryland Trial Lawyers in 2009, 2010. And um, I was suing the energy drink companies. I was suing Monster and Red Bull for uh, marketing to kids and causing heart attacks in teenagers. Sure. And we put a bill in the Maryland legislature to ban the sale of energy drinks to kids. And the ABA, the American Beverage Association, came in and lobbied against us and kind of whooped us in that effort. But during the hearing, there was testimony about how we're trying to ban the sale of energy drinks here but right downstairs, they're about to legalize cannabis. And that caught my attention. So after our hearing, where we got shellacked, I went downstairs and listened to the cannabis hearing. 
and learned how Maryland was going to change their program and open it up with a limited number of licenses. And that's where I first learned about it. This was 2014. I talked to my brother, who's a serial entrepreneur, and you know we, we decided to go for it. We decided we were going to start an LLC, apply for a license. We knew it was a long shot, but we decided to go for it. We ended up getting the highest scored application in the state of Maryland and won wow. our growth license. So that's how I got into it. So you started growing in Maryland. How did you, how did you expand the business from there? Well, in Maryland, we just won a cultivation license. We did not apply for a processing license or a dispensary license. So okay. the first thing we did is we knew we wanted to be vertical in Maryland. We acquired a processing license. We bought it from um, somebody else who had won it. And then we acquired a dispensary license. And then we acquired another dispensary license. So now we're vertical in Maryland. We have two dispensaries. The next state we tackled was Pennsylvania, and we applied for a license in Pennsylvania. And you have to understand these application processes are very daunting. The applications themselves are, you know, probably a thousand pages or more in length. Wow. And they're expensive. The application fees are often $50,000, $100,000. We applied in Pennsylvania. We ended up losing by three points out of a thousand point scale. And we felt we were not treated properly in the scoring. So we filed a lawsuit in Pennsylvania. We actually had an administrative hearing, two day administrative hearing. And then the judge held that in abeyance. And while it was being held in abeyance, we applied in another round in Pennsylvania and ended up winning a license. So that kind of mooted out our litigation. But that's how we ended up getting licensed in Pennsylvania. We got to grow our processor license. You know, we applied in some other states where we were not as successful. We, in Ohio, we won a dispensary license, but we lost on the cultivation and processing. That was disappointing. So, Kevin, can I ask you, what, what makes you win or lose on these licenses? You already were successful in Maryland. You obviously know what you're doing. You're running a full vertical here but then you don't get part of it in Pennsylvania and then you do, and then you don't get part of it in Ohio. But presumably you're one of the more experienced applicants. So what, what is it that, what, what's the challenge here? It seems very strange. Well, every state is different. And, okay. you know, frankly, it's supposed to be a scored process based on the quality of the applicant and quality of the application. You know, I think we're very good at writing applications. We're very good operators. But in each state, you never know how politics is going to come into play. You never know, frankly, what's going on behind the scenes. We've never really been particularly politically connected. I mean, I'm politically involved, but, you know, my, by way of history, I don't make a lot of political donations. We didn't really feel like we were connected in Maryland or anything. So our strategy is just to put together the best application we can in each state, be smart about it, and um, you know, hope for the best. I think we feel like in some of the states where we were not successful, politics might have played a role. For example, 
in Virginia, and Barney helped me with this a lot. We decided, you know, we knew we were outsiders. So we decided to partner with three female entrepreneurs from Virginia. They had a company called VPP. We partnered with them and um, put in the application with that group. And, you know, I think that helped us. It made us not seem like we were outsiders. We had, you know, female participation, which is helpful. You know, female equity in the entity Greenleaf Medical of Virginia. You know, but I think having partners is also sometimes a challenge because you come from two different backgrounds and all that. You know, I think I answered your question, but like, um, I think in each venue, we try to partner with somebody local as necessary. Gotcha. Put in the best application we can and hope for the best. And a lot of it's luck. A lot of it is, um, you know, in certain states, it may be preordained based on lobbyists and politics, but um, yeah. we have never really used lobbyists in the application process. So when wow. we've licenses, it's been on the merits of our application. So, Kevin, when you started this for the grower's license, for example, did you already have land and a plan to grow it, all of that, then you put in the application? Or did you get the license and then get the the growing, the land? Because obviously there's an expense. If you don't get the license, you've taken a risk, uh, capital risk. So we always have felt like it's better to have control of the land for the application. You really want to show that either have a lease or an option to lease or you buy the land. In Maryland, we did an option to lease. So okay. basically, we paid the landlord, I think we paid him 20 grand to pull the property from the market. And then we had an option to lease it if we won the application. In Pennsylvania, we actually bought the property and we put you know, we, we got a really good deal on the property and we just knew that if we were not successful in winning the license, we'd probably be able to sell it for more than what we bought it for. Gotcha. And I assume so that every, every venue is different, but you have to show oh. control of the property. And, okay. you know, like you said, it's always a risk. So you don't want to enter into a five-year lease, not knowing if you're going to win or not. Right. Fair. Um, and I assume zoning is a big part of that. You've got to have a place where they'll let you grow cannabis and or marijuana, I guess, at the plant. And then um, and then the dispensary license and the processing license, is that also something where you pre-plan the capital investment? Or that is that something where, okay, well, we've got the license now. We can go get the dispensary. That seems uh, like something that might be less risky. Or how, how does that work? So let me go back to the zoning. Um, sure. Zoning is very important. And that's something that Barney really helped us with in Virginia, in Colonial Heights. We were not, we were trying to build out a dispensary in Virginia and Colonial Heights. We had some challenges with the zoning and Barney sort of quarterbacked us in an appeal where we were ultimately successful and got the zoning we needed to get um, a medical dispensary up and running there that we're building out. Uh, now so i'll throw that out there i think your second question was about the capital raising the capital to build out these uh facilities and it's very expensive very challenging it's probably the biggest challenge we've faced 
Our Maryland facility cost about $6 million to build out our Grove facility. The facility is, so in Maryland, at first we leased the facility. And then after we won, we negotiated to buy the facility from the landlord because we were putting so many capital improvements into it. It just made sense. We raised money by selling equity. Unfortunately, in cannabis, you can't get a normal bank loan. You have to, the only, back then, especially, it's changing a little bit now, but back then, the only way to raise capital was by selling equity. And I mean, we had a great deal in our Series A equity. Let me back up a minute. When we applied in Maryland, we needed to show capital that we had access to capital to do the build out. So we wanted to show that we had at least $2 million in the bank. So before we even applied, we, through a private placement memorandum, raised about a million and a half dollars so that we could show a bank account statement with our application with 1.5 million. I didn't have that kind of money. My brother didn't have that kind of money. It would have been nice if we did because we gave up a tremendous amount of equity in that series A that would have been worth a whole lot more money um, down, down the road. Yeah. So same thing. So the dispensary, I assume as well, is it an expensive build out or is that It sounds like the growing is the most expensive piece, but I don't know much about processing is also a machine-driven kind of indoor thing as well, where you have to have invest a fair amount of capital as well, I assume. Yeah. So the Maryland build-out was six or seven million. Our build-out in Manchester, Virginia, near Richmond, was about 18 million, if I'm not mistaken. And our build-out in Pennsylvania, where we have a massive facility between phase one. And phase two, the cost is about $45 million. Um, wow. That state, Kevin? So like, in other words, that facility services only Pennsylvania? Or can you, can you move stuff across state lines? Or is that a federal problem? So that's a federal problem. And it's very interesting. Each state is its own little micro economy with regard to supply and demand. Wow. Uh, it creates a lot of challenges, but it also creates a lot of opportunity and you know i guess the obstacles to entry are what lets us um you know if you're able to overcome them there's limited competition and yeah. um yeah do you get market domination that way that's fantastic i mean we still have competitors and we're all fighting for market share on the east coast in these states maryland virginia pennsylvania ohio there's a limited number of licenses in virginia there's only four licenses in Maryland, there's 20 grow licenses. In Pennsylvania, there's 25 grow licenses. Okay, so you contrast that with California and Colorado, where there's basically unlimited licenses, thousands of licenses in Colorado. Pretty much anyone can get into the game. Um, right. What ends up happening is the licenses on the East Coast are a lot more valuable than the licenses on the West Coast. Yeah, it makes sense. Limited supply. And uh, so I imagine that puts you in a really good position when your acquisition uh, negotiations happened, uh, especially in the Virginia space. You're 25% of the grow market in Virginia, at least by license, right? So actually, we have two of the licenses because we have one of the licenses and Columbia Care has one of the licenses. Wow. Um, That's, yeah. 
that's really impressive. Kevin, Columbia Care doesn't impact on you except for the fact that they own your stock, right? So we sell our product to Columbia Care's dispensary. So they're a customer. You're independent. We operate independently. Like we are in charge of the hiring, the firing, the operations. You know, frankly, they have some resources that we didn't have. So we've brought in some cultivation expertise, some HR expertise, you know, from our parent company, Columbia Care. How big is Columbia Care? What's their market cap as a, as a company? Um, I don't know offhand. I think it's, it's about a billion dollars, but I could be wrong about that. I mean, I would, wouldn't be surprised with all the kind of control it has in this marketplace. It's fantastic. And Barney and Kevin will be back with you next week, although they will be here with me right now to talk about a challenge that Kevin's faced. And I am super personally interested in this. Again, so many people are asking me about how to do this. Um, what can I do? And everything I tell them is that there's a limited number of licenses, huge number of challenges. And so we have Kevin and Barney here, experts on this, to tell us a little bit more about it. And I'm just going to start referring them to this podcast. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black Letter Podcast. We will see you next week with Kevin Goldberg and Barney Goodman and Greenleaf Medical. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.